morning. It's a pleasure to speak with you this morning. It's been a while since I've been up here and um, it's always just a hair nerve-wracking up here, but we will, we will progress. We hear a lot about dysfunctional homes, homes that are in turmoil and derision, divorces, Single parents, absentee parents, have left homes in tatters. In many cases, it seems that children growing up today don't stand a chance for much success. A biblical example of this is Joseph. Looking at Joseph's family and his early years, most people would have concluded that Joseph was a good bet at a loss of a lost cause. After all, his brothers did not turn out very well. But God, in his providence, sovereignty, and power, was able to overcome all the negatives in Joseph's life. I want us to see this morning how God dug gold from an unlikely mind. Our starting point in Scripture this morning will be Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24. Genesis chapter 30 verses 22 through 24, and I'll read that this morning. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph. So that is our starting off point this morning. We may go all over, but at least we'll have a foundation to build off of. The first idea we want to see this morning is the miracle of Joseph's birth. The miracle of Joseph's birth. The testimony of his birth, he was born into a family full of controversy. His father, Jacob, Fell, into, fell in love with Rachel, who was a cousin. She was the daughter of Laban, who was the brother of Jacob's mother, Rebekah. Um, Jacob agreed to work for Laban seven years to gain Rachel as his wife. Verse 20, chapter, 20, chapter 29 and verse 18 says, now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban had two daughters, Leah, the older of the two, and Rachel was by far the prettier of the two. The wedding day finally came. Laban switched daughters. He put Leah in Rachel's place. Jacob, the trickster, was tricked by his own uncle. Jacob obviously discovers this in the morning, and he confronts Laban with it. And after much discussion and argument, I'm sure that um, 
which is what probably happened. Jacob agrees to work seven more years for Rachel, but he still had to wait a week because he had to have, they had to have the time, Jacob and Leah needed to have that time together as husband and wife. So after one week then, Jacob marries Rachel and then has to work seven more years. Two wives in seven days. That definitely set the stage for problems. Jealousy, anger, bitterness did not bode well for this group of three. Leah gets pregnant four times. She has four sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. The four oldest boys. Rachel at this point is still childless, has no children. So she gives Bilhah, her servant, to Jacob. And where have we heard that before? And Bilhah gives Jacob two sons, Dan and Naphtali. And in all, this, in all this time frame, Leah gets pregnant two more times, gives Jacob two more sons, Gad and Asher. Rachel has none. Leah has three more children, Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter, Dinah. Jacob now has ten sons and one daughter. Rachel is childless. But at this point, God intervenes. Rachel gets pregnant and gives birth to Joseph. Hence the scripture we read this morning. Joseph's birth is a testimony to God's sovereignty, love, and providence. He opened a barren womb to bring Joseph into the world. Joseph, Joseph was born by divine intervention. You and I are here today because God, in his sovereignty, decided to send us, each of us, into this world. You and I are not accidents of fate. Our births were of the will of God. And this is a testimony in itself. The triumph of his birth. Jacob was proud of all his sons and daughters, but it had broken his heart that his wife Rachel had to suffer the indignity of barrenness. God heard their prayers. The birth of Joseph brought a great time of rejoicing and happiness into Jacob's home. These cute little wrinkled dictators, as I call them, can really dominate the household. They do bring joy and satisfaction to our hearts and to our spirits. We can praise God for the privilege of seeing babies come into this world. And then we see the timing of Joseph's birth. The timing of his birth. 
Joseph is the 11th son and the 12th child. From all outward appearances, Joseph entered life at a major disadvantage. Maybe without too much hope for his future. Low man on the totem pole in the family. He's bossed around by ten older brothers. His birth could not have been worse from a human perspective, but God knew exactly what he was doing. Like cream in the milk bottle, Joseph would rise to the top of his family. Some of us here might look at our lives today and feel like everything is against us. You might feel some issues from your life work against work against you from from being successful in the eyes of the world. Do not count God out. He has a plan for you. He is already executing that plan, no matter how things may appear. So we've seen the miracle of Joseph's birth. Now we'll talk about the maze of Joseph's boyhood. The maze of Joseph's boyhood. And we see some problem areas here. The first area of problems is obviously the home. He has one father, but father has four wives. There's 12 children. Somebody might have a tendency to go a little hungry. So there's a recipe for trouble. There's favoritism. Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. These kind of things bring heartache, bitterness, jealousy, hatred. Then, of course, there's the in-laws. And we're going to talk about Laban. Tricked Jacob about wages wives, those kind of things. He stole his daughter's inheritance. He was a real prince of a guy. He accuses Jacob of stealing the family idols. Jacob and Laban covenant with one another to stay away from one another. How would it be at 10 or 11 years old to never see your grandfather again? That would be difficult. And then, of course, there's problems with Uncle Esau. Jacob feared him. Jacob didn't want anything to do with him. I don't know why. He just stole the blessing and stole the birthright. But other than that, there aren't any issues or difficulties. Okay. Problems with outsiders. 
Dinah was raped by a man, Shechem the Hivite. Simeon Levi tricked the men of the city and killed them. And Jacob didn't do anything about it. He let it stand. And then, of course, there's problems with insiders. Problems within the family. Rachel dies. Joseph's mother is gone. She dies in childbirth with her second son. Reuben commits incest with his father's handmaid, Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. And once again, Jacob does nothing. Jacob is a passive father. No correction applied at needed times. Excuse me. Older brothers are wicked, self-centered men. And then lastly, Grandpa Isaac is gone now. So So Joseph has no more grandparents that he will ever see. That's hard. That's very difficult. But what are the what are the positive areas of Joseph's childhood? Let's turn to Genesis chapter thirty-two. Genesis chapter thirty-two, and we'll start in verse twenty-four. Genesis thirty-two, twenty-four. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, the angel, said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, your name... What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And the angel said, why is it you ask about not my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So what happened here? Jacob met God face to face. He got a new name. Jacob is no longer Jacob. Jacob is Israel. He got a new walk. He now limps. He got a new life. Because of this, Joseph got a new father. And Joseph... Never forgot this. This made an immense change in Jacob. They returned to Bethel from Shechem. Joseph never forgot the blessings, the testimonies, and the worship that went on there. 
Jacob's or Joseph saw God's protection, verses 35 and verse 5. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that they were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. As the family traveled, they enjoyed God's protection. Jacob feared retribution by the cities in the, in the desert because of the situation regarding Dinah. But God had kept his promise in Genesis 28:15 that they would be protected. The protection and provision of God made a deep impression on Joseph. Most of us can, can find flaws in our upbringing if we look far enough back. If we look long enough and hard enough. But we can also see the times when God was, was revealed, God had revealed his hand in our lives even at a young age. We can thank God for the times when the Lord moved and revealed his presence and protection. We must never underestimate the importance of positive influence on our child's life. In Joseph's case, as in ours, the positive influences had more impact than the negative ones. So we've seen the miracle of Joseph's birth. We have seen the maze of Joseph's boyhood. Now let's take a look at the message of Joseph's battles. There is a message of hope. There is a message of hope. The early years of Joseph's childhood teach us that your childhood does not have to ruin you. Your past does not have to define you. Your past can be overcome by the power of God in your life. To look at how you act and say, well, that's just the way I was raised, is a cop-out. To blame your actions on people in your past is nothing but a smokescreen for a heart that is unwilling to change by the power of God. Your past must never define who you are today. What if Paul, what if Peter, King David, had adopted that attitude? Things would be very, very different. All of these men had issues in their past, but all of them were allowed, all of them allowed God to work in them. And each of them had a godly heritage that follows them. Okay. So a message of hope. There is a message of home. Joseph's home was a real mess. Anything but a godly home. Our homes should be Anything but ungodly. They should be a sanctuary of godliness where our children and grandchildren can be refreshed, revitalized, re-energized to face the evil world that we live in. It should be a place where Jesus' praises are heard aloud. His name honored above all others. 
And the Bible is the foundation of life and practice. Our homes should be places where the Holy Spirit is active and speaking to hearts and leading in the paths of godliness. Every home that is represented here at First Baptist should stand as a burning and a shining light in our neighborhood as an example of the love, grace, and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. There is a message of help. There is a blessing that we can take with us today. We can rejoice that God took the ore of this young man's life, of Joseph's life, refined it, shaped it, and Joseph became pure gold for God's glory. This is the power of grace. This is the power of God. And there is a second blessing. And I have to say that this is kind of selfish. God's grace has allowed Donna and I the privilege of having beautiful grandkids and has given us the opportunity to influence their lives for Christ, the gospel, the word of God, and godliness. If you've got grandkids, you have that same opportunity. You can influence your grandchildren, regardless of their age, whether they be two 22 or 62, you can still influence them for Christ, for the gospel, for godliness, and the word of God. The Bible and the body of Christ are filled with accounts like Joseph's. God can take a person in spite of what the world and the past have tried to do. To take that life, to refine it, to turn it into a valuable piece of gold, and to use it for his glory. Are you and I willing to be put through God's refining process to be used for his glory?